Some people are fascinated with the Civil War. Some people are fascinated with classic cars. Some people are fascinated with celebrities. I mean, those are okay for me, but, you know, and one of the things that I find really interesting, and it's not really a hobby of mine, it's just interesting, and it's how beautiful men and women, but in my opinion, especially women that are beautiful, have an amazing advantage in life. And I bring this up once in a while on the show, and sometimes it's misinterpreted when I bring it up as like Dave's obsessed with beautiful women. Well, I'm not really obsessed with beautiful women any more than like any other other average person. I am obsessed with, interested in is a better word, in the advantages and how it changes your life and how you end up with more of the things that people want out of life. So I found somebody who wrote a book which is all about beauty and the beauty industry and how the beauty industry promotes this irrational view of of what beauty is. And so we're going to talk to her today, kind of a different podcast this week on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Here we go. So I came into work on Black Friday just so I could record this podcast because I found this so interesting that I found somebody who is like-minded with me. Her name is Martha Laham, and she wrote a book called Made Up, and there's a long subtitle here, and I think it's important, so I'm going to read the subtitle here too. Made Up, How the Beauty Industry Manipulates Consumers, Preys on Women's Insecurities, and Promotes Unattainable Beauty Standards. Martha, good morning, and thanks for being on the podcast this week. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. You and I found some common ground right away in 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 our interest in in beauty, and and you acknowledge that there's actually people who study beauty, and they there was a study, and it's called not is something nomics. What's it called again? Polchronomics. Polchronomics. What? Is, how do you define polchronomics? Well, it's the economic study of beauty. So there is such a thing. Okay. So now I feel vindicated because there are other people who are like me that find this whole thing fascinating. Give me one of the big findings, for example, about earnings over a lifetime, over a career, Martha. Well, based on an average wage of $20 per hour, it's estimated that attractive workers earn 230000 more than those with average looks. And men, that for men, that figure rises to $250,000. So men have an advantage even in that segment. Why is it, though? Because you and I know, you and I have been to town a couple of times in our lives, and <laughs> we know that sometimes beautiful people are fabulous workers with a great work ethic, and they're kind, and they have a great great attitude. But it doesn't. it's not defined by anybody's looks. But why do we assume that beautiful people are going to be a harder worker, better, kinder, better attitude? Well, it's because there is an expectation, there's an association between beauty, interestingly enough, beauty and intelligence, uh, beauty and competence, beauty and trustworthiness. So there are some traits associated with beauty, and ultimately the beautiful people uh, I mean, there's there's this attitude that beautiful people actually uh, they call it the it's a physical attractiveness advantage that they have, and and it's true. Again, 
we have had many findings. There's lots of research to prove this this to to be true. I have experienced that myself in that I've worked with some incredibly beautiful people. And uh, I will give you two sides of the spectrum. One of them was not a nice person, but everybody assumed that she was a wonderful person because she was so beautiful. And uh, I would see the way she would treat people. And, and then I would see people say, oh, my gosh, she's so nice. She's so sweet. And I was like, where are you getting that? Because she has a beautiful face. Then at the other, other side of the coin, I worked with someone who was very beautiful. She looked like a model. She was the kindest person who wouldn't really even acknowledge that she was beautiful. She was kind of shy about it. Um, she thought she was frumpy when she was not frumpy. She was extremely beautiful. So you and I know that there are, just because you are beautiful or unattractive at the same time, that it really doesn't play into your, it doesn't play into your work ethic. It doesn't play into your competence or your attitude. It really has no bearing, or does it? Does it make you feel more comp? Does it have any bearing on your performance? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, there is a prettiness premium, and we've heard of that before. And interestingly enough, um, there is also something called a prettiness penalty at the same time. So I really want to mention that. But uh, I think that one of the – I think some of the – preconceived notions that we have is that beauty is an advantageous trait, and we equate that with beauty and happiness. And maybe people who are beautiful doesn't necessarily follow that they're going to be happier and more successful, but at the same time, society will bestow upon them uh, certain advantages that perhaps others may not have. For example, going back to this research on earnings, um, it was discovered actually it really makes sense when you think about it. The explanation for this, for the, for attractive people learning more is that it shows that attractive workers attract more business and so it makes good business sense to hire them. That's so interesting. So therefore the cliche of the beautiful pharmaceutical sales rep being 32 years old and five foot 11 and a gymnast body and a beautiful face or, or whatever you think beauty is. So there, there's actual some, some truth to that, that we know that beautiful people will attract more business. Uh, absolutely. That's absolutely true. So and is it again, wrong? But does, just- but does that make it wrong though? I mean, is it wrong that we go, well, listen, I work for Dave, Dave and Martha's pharmaceuticals. I'm going to hire Jessica because Jessica's 32 and all the doctors are going to love Jessica. Is it wrong for you and I to hire her or should we hire Maureen? Maureen is 58 years old and Maureen is, you know, whatever. What's right? What's wrong? Or is there? think there's any right or wrong, but interestingly enough, there is something called lookism. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. It's called body fascism. Okay. It's a new kind of ism. And um, while it, it, and basically lookism is, is an eye construction of standard of beauty and attractiveness and the judgments that are made about people on the basis of how well or poorly they meet the standard. And uh, there actually was a set of laws. Prior to the 1970s, lookism was woven into something called the ugly laws. And these laws banned people with diseases and disfigurements from appearing in public. Now, of course, today we have the Americans Disabilities Act and so forth, and we probably aren't going to see blatant forms of lookism. But these are realities that 
um, again, not right or wrong, but if, if it prevents people from having certain opportunities just as a result of their looks, yeah. uh, you know, we have to think twice about this. Is this fair? Is it not fair? It's not right or wrong. Is it fair or unfair? You know what? I, think, I guess it's really. And, and, and yeah. I agree. I, you know, a friend of mine said once, he said, if you're waiting around for life to be fair, you're going to wait for a long time. Is it? It's and this is again one of the things we're we're talking about with with Martha. And I want to get into the book. The book. I wish I had the book, but I'm looking at the brief summary of the book, and it looks fascinating. And we'll talk about where to get the book in a second here. Um, but I talk about. I, I I find it fascinating how somebody can be born with the beautiful genetic gift of beauty, and then we all know somebody who's very plain, or some. Let's face it, there is average, and there if there's an average, then there's a below average with men and women, mm-hmm. and and we look at somebody who is born with the genetics of beauty and somebody who is born with the genetics of being unattractive. It just exists, and a lot of the time we refuse to acknowledge that, um, but it is an incredible gift. Um, uh, and and I think that, you know, I was telling you about the friend of mine who is 5'11", blonde, model's face, model's body, and she'll go into a restaurant, and, and when men and women will turn their heads to look at her. And, um, right. And, and, and it's like, well, then there's, you know, there's somebody who's very average or, or below average, and they don't get that. They don't get the advantages. There's no explaining it. It just simply isn't fair, just like some people are born to play basketball, and then there's people like me who can't dunk. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. So they're really, we acknowledge it's just, it's just unfair. And there's really, there's some ways to tilt the balance a little bit. But it's never really going to be a balanced, equal thing. But you know what, Dave? There is, we can look at the flip side of this, too. There is something um, called a prettiness penalty, where being too attractive could actually work against you in the workplace. Tell me about that. The the prettiness penalty. Penalty, yes. And, and uh, basically, I mean, there's, we witness a gender divide here as very good-looking men and very bully make out in salary and hiring, but there is a study that shows highly attractive women face hiring discrimination from a plot for when they're applying for male-dominated professions. Now, wait till you hear this is pretty surprising. Um, so research explained, uh, researchers explained that higher expectations tend to be set for beautiful people, and if they fail to meet the expectations, the beautiful are ostracized. The reverse is true for less attractive people. So in other words, less is expected from them, and if they exceed expectations, they're rewarded. Okay, so if lesser attractive people exceed expectations, they're rewarded. But if we have such high expectations of uh, of of this beautiful person here, and they don't live up to them, they're we're, we're disappointed because we expect so much. Exactly. That's exactly. so interesting. And again, this is yeah. Again, it's research based. I mean, you can't make this up. It's research based. It's just so fascinating. And and in the in when we look at makeup, you know, there's an ad. Maybe it's Maybelline, and it's true. I mean, women who wear makeup could actually boost their 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 source credibility. So specifically. The how they're seen as being more competent and trustworthy. And again, another study was done that found women who wear makeup can earn over 30% more in pay than those who don't wear makeup. 
That's so interesting, Martha. If I, as a male, were to come on the radio Monday morning and say, if women wore makeup, they'd make more money, I would be probably fired, fined, uh, ostracized. Uh, I'd lose my <laughs> I'd lose my dog. Um, I'd have my tires slashed. But but it's true. I didn't say it. You did. If women wore makeup, they'll make more money. Yeah, I've got the citation. If you want me, I can even send you the URL. (laughs) Again, I find it so fascinating because it's something that people, especially in our very PC age, don't want to acknowledge. Um, And I found this, um, you know, this trend starting maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, And I remember the song by Christina Aguilera that goes, you're beautiful no matter what they say. Um, Yeah. and, and, and that's a lie. That's, that's a lie. You can be a beautiful soul. Of course you can, no matter what you look like. But it's not true that you're beautiful no matter what they say, because let's face it, some people are not born beautiful. Why is beauty so important that we will lie to average people and yeah. say you are so beautiful, you might not look like the supermodel, but you're so beautiful? Isn't it a better lesson? And I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. To say to let somebody who's not beautiful think, you know what? Yeah, you're you, you might not look like the supermodel, and that is going to change your life. So you better learn to live with it. I don't know which is correct: telling someone yeah. plain that they're beautiful, or telling them the truth. Well, it's in the mind of the beholder, right? Yes. Beauty is it's about a of perception course. of what we find right to be beautiful, and 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 beauty is a commodity in our society. It is. It, it is it, exactly. It's a currency. It is. I've it's explained. A social yeah. currency. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sorry. You took the words right out of my mouth. It's a, so there's a social currency. And again, you know, I'm not here. I I'm you know I'm a research writer, so I look at the these questions objectively, and I just. You know, these are my assertions based on my findings, and I can see how women in particular would not be happy with hearing this. Women in particular are very sensitive, many women are, to this topic. And and what I wanted to do in the book is to raise awareness to let women know that some of our notions of what is beautiful are really hardwired. I mean, they span cultures and are multi-generational, uh, and and in other ways, they're just simply reinforced through the media and advertising and, of course, beauty messaging. They suddenly, if you look at beauty messaging, I mean, there's a way that they have to say we're suddenly unattractive to sell their products, right? They have to push the right emotional button. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because, again, the book is uh, is called Made Up, and it's all about the beauty industry and how you're, the beauty industry makes women feel like they need to buy more of their product to feel more beautiful. And if you don't look like this girl on Instagram, then you aren't beautiful. And you talk to me about just the overall theme of the book and the beauty industry, and then we'll get some specifics Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. So my book made up, it it takes a hard look at the multi-billion beauty uh, daughter beauty industry that props up these unrealistic beauty standards, perpetuates gender stereotyping, some of what we're talking about, femininity versus masculinity, and promotes cosmetic enhancements to fill, fulfill a growing cultural, cultural expectation with image and appearance, which is what we've been talking uh, about. So this is the beauty industry's role in supporting this. So the beauty industry is... is- the major factor in the promotion of this unrealistic beauty, 
or is it our society? What would you say? What I mean, if you're going to just name like a percentage, is the beauty industry 90% responsible? And I know that you're a researcher, you're a scientist, you don't want to nail down like, but but how how responsible is the beauty industry or compared to me and you and Joe Average and Jill Average walking around in the street? Uh, yeah, you know what? I think it's mostly, um, it, they re, this idea, for example, there's for ages, for, I mean, for centuries, we've had this idea of the feminine beauty ideal, yeah, right? Yeah. That physical attractiveness is one of women's most important assets and something that women should strive and achieve and maintain. But this is even predate advertising. So I think that the industry, I mean, there's this really great uh, question. Does advertising mirror or does it shape social norms? Okay. So in, right? So beauty is one of those notions, if we think about it. Does, the, does beauty advertising or beauty messaging actually shape it or does it reinforce so this is an open question that anybody can debate. Okay. And I could argue that, that the door swings both ways. That totally makes sense. Let's talk about like the selfie generation where, you know, like until about 20 years ago, I'm not sure when the selfie and, you know, when that all became mainstream, but we look at selfies on Instagram and we look at, you know, people who is like, apparently you have a, a photographer follow you around to take beautiful pictures of you pensively looking at a dolphin. Um, and that's, and it's, 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 it's a beautiful picture. But the women in these pictures, let's face it, they're mostly women. They are beautiful, and that's a game that shuts out the average woman. They're, they're, let's face it, the, the most popular Instagram models are beautiful, and, and there's so many average women who want to strive for that, which I think is crazy. But is, how does the mm-hmm. beauty industry, how does the beauty industry promote or involve, get involved in this unrealistic expectation on social media and selfies? Yeah, well, definitely the selfie trend. Um, is selfie trend, interestingly enough, is stoking demand for facial plastic surgery. That's so, it, because of image-based social media can lead people to over-scrutinize their appearances ever before. So if I look at somebody who's an Instagram model and I think I have a double chin or a bigger nose than I should, I'm going to call my plastic surgeon and and, <laughs> and get a consultation. Well, it... it that could happen. Yeah, I mean, according, you know, there's a study done that the surgeon selfies has increased demand for cosmetic procedures, especially among the under 30 crowd. I'm also looking at something like the perfect woman changes from generation to generation, whatever that perfect, you know, you go back to 1962. Marilyn Monroe was a little curvier. Mm-hmm. Twiggy in the late 60s was very thin. It changes mm-hmm. from generation to generation. Yes, that's, and this is covered in the book. Yes, this is that notion of the feminine beauty ideal, right? I mean, we had the, you know, the term Rubenesque, right? Voluptuous women, 1600s to 1800s. And then the Gibson girl, the flapper, 1920s, curves were out, thin was in. Um, of course, you mentioned the hourglass. I mean, we actually have terms for this. Uh, Jane Mansfield, Kim Novak, Marilyn Monroe, they became the icons of femininity and Twiggy. And now, actually, we are in a time, which is a very interesting time, because we're really defining beauty. There's more diverse 
I mean, more, it's more diverse and it's more inclusive in the 2000s and the 2010s. And I think in large part, Dave, this is because America has become a more multicultural mixed nation. Mm-hmm. So narrow ideals of feminine beauty are peeling away. And now Americans are embracing beauty in diversity. One thing that I noticed, the guys just love talking to you, Martha. This is so interesting. Um, uh, I walk through Target or I walk through Macy's, and models are no longer skinny, skinny, skinny. Uh, not, not mannequins are no longer skinny, skinny, unrealistic. And there are some of those; they're still there. But there's a lot more like, oh, that looks like a regular body now. That's a good mm-hmm. thing. That's that's obviously a good thing. You had to have been happy to see that. Very happy. There's unmistakable evidence that the beauty and fashion industries are featuring more realistic and relatable models in their advertising. But remember, this is good business sense because most marketers are probably not inclined to bow to pressure from consumers and advocacy groups that advocate for more realistic presentation of the female form unless it makes good business sense. So if they if they realize that their sales would go down if they use larger mannequins, they'd be right back to the smaller mannequins because it's all about making money. Well, if I if I was a cynical person, I would say yes. Okay. I'm the cynical <laughs> one. You're you're much more reasonable than I am. I'm the cynic here. Okay. Um, uh, let's talk about celebrities and their effect on the beauty industry. Okay, celebrities Again, this is something I found find fascinating. You don't see a lot of average-looking pop stars unless they're guys. You know, Ed Sheeran is an average-looking guy. Louis Capaldi is an average-looking guy. However, Selena Gomez, mm-hmm. Miley Cyrus, Taylor Swift, um, they're all they all could be models. They're, I mean, they're all beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we look to celebrities. Let's take the Kardashian sisters because they're all beautiful. And uh, but the beauty industry loves the Kardashian sisters to promote their products, even though. Most people will never look like them. Tell me about celebrities and how their what is their influence in all of this beauty industry? Oh, it's huge. I mean, many cosmetics companies use celebrities uh, in their ads for both beauty and personal care products. And remember that the beauty industry also includes personal care products, things like toothpaste and shaving cream. And... Um, and I think that celebrity endorsements, um, they use them because celebrity endorsements work. Um, and I think this is especially true for beauty ads featuring celebrities because they can enhance the message. They can create brand liking, create trust. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, but now it's interesting, Dave, what we're finding that many beauty endorsements now aren't just the sole province of mainstream celebrities, but instead social media influencers such as beauty bloggers. So, I mean, this trend has been fueled by more women wanting to see recognizable role models as beauty endorsers. So here's something new that we're seeing in the industry. Okay. And and I was just thinking as you say that, you know, I've got a daughter and, you know, she's grown and she's so level-headed. And I don't know if you're a mom or or not, but if you were a mom or even a dad in this age and you have a 12-year-old daughter... And she's looking at these celebrities and she's looking at Selena Gomez and she's looking at, you know, Dua Lipa endorsing whatever they're endorsing. Do you talk to them about this? Do you say, hey, this is not something you want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, try to attain? What do you, how do you talk to a girl? Is there a way to talk to a girl? Should you bring it up? 
That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I think that I think one of the downsides of um, and we have to remember too, and I do want to bring this up that there there's a manipulation of images uh, in fashion magazines really have bent our perception of beauty, and we find this on social media too. And I think that oftentimes um, young women are they're looking at these what's perceived as beauty icons, but these may not actually be the way that these celebrities or fashion models actually look. They may be very, very beautiful, but we have to remember that young women especially, I think that um, need to be careful. I mean, I'd want to tell my daughter that um, there's photo retouching of images. The most important thing is to feel good about yourself. you know, some of these alterations can result in unrealistic expectations of body image and and what your aspirations should be. And I think women, young women in particular, have to feel good about themselves. And and of course, we know that beauty is again, as we've seen, um, beauty is an advantageous trait. But I would want women to develop other traits that they have, many of their own inherent qualities. And that's, I think, what parents should reinforce. I love I love that answer so much, Martha, because um, I think there's even something in my book where, you know, it's like, hey, I want to do this so I can look this way. And it's like, hey, if you want to stand out, don't try to look a certain way. Learn how to play the oboe because nobody plays the oboe. <laughs> And, and 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 I'm glad you get the joke. I'm not actually suggesting you learn to go play the oboe, but develop something else that you can be proud of, whether you're really good at art, whether you're really good at rock climbing, whether you're really good at uh, whatever pet grooming, something that you can pride yourself on beside being a good student, you know, something besides your beauty. So I want to ask you a couple of more questions and, and then I want to wrap up here because I want to be respectful of your time. Um, uh, what about anti-aging anything? We all read about, you know, this product on TV and you got to order it before, you know, midnight tonight to get two bottles and this stuff. And, and Kim Kardashian uses this. And is there anything anti-aging that really has worked? Oh, well, uh, that's a broad question. It may be hard to answer. To say, yeah, some some cosmetics, I and mean, we have to say anti-aging has become really an increasingly profitable segment of the skincare market. Uh, and this is a whole slew of products, and, and you may know them, but definitely uh, women who listen to your program will, anti-wrinkle products, retinal products. I mean, these are generally pricier than creams that don't trumpet anti-aging uh, properties. But one thing that some Cosmetics company claim that their anti-aging skincare products contain ingredients so powerful that they can perform wonders. Okay. And it's probably not true. Like resetting the skin's aging clock, I would buy a, I would buy a, a I mean, a truckload of that <laughs> stuff if that was the case, really. Right. Um, but, but you know what they do, Dave? They moisturize the skin, which gives the appearance of healthier, suppler skin. But inexpensive creams will do that, too. So I will tell you that some of these product claims are harder to confirm because there have been a few studies that have been produced and published to prove that these products fulfill their advertised promise. So the short answer is there is 
there may be hope in a jar, but there's probably not a miracle in a jar. That is that is such a great answer, and it makes sense, because we moisturize and we look better, men and women. Um, I have mm-hmm. a little saying that I that I like to, to throw out once in a while, early to bed, early to rise, work like hell and moisturize. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, and I and I love that because it's funny. But you know what? I my wife moisturizes all of her body every day, and she is fifty two or is she fifty three? And she her skin is beautiful. I mean, it's glowing, it's smooth, it's radiant, and moisturizing works. But it's not because you put it on for a week and you paid extra because mm-hmm. it's got retinol. It's because you've been doing it for years and years. A couple of more questions. Right. This, is, this is kind of a personal question. And I, this, I, whenever I say this, it sounds like I'm trying to brag or show off, but I'm not. It's just, it's just a fact. Um, when I was in my 20s, I was quite attractive. And, uh, and I would go into a room and I would feel like women, like giving me the up and down and then give me the little sly smile. And uh, I'm not a try. I'm, I'm come on. I'm a grandfather now. I'm 58 years old and I'm fine with the way I look now. But when you are young and you're beautiful and, and I would go to I remember one time I went to a school for career day and about three different teachers were like, so are you single? And and it was all very <laughs> flattering. And I want to ask you a personal question. So for, for me, it was interesting because I saw that and I totally enjoyed it. And then after a while, it fades away. And, and you learn to deal with it because, you know, nobody's going to stay 28 and beautiful forever. Personal question. Did you also, were you, I mean, I'm sure you're beautiful now, and this is a weird question. Did you grow up above average beautiful when you were in your 20s? Did you experience all that too? 20s, 30s, 40s? Well, you know, how do we measure that? Um, you know, well, uh, I think I had more personality that, that made me perhaps attractive. But how do we measure that really when we think about it? When I was in high school, I was a prom queen. Just because I'm prom queen, does that mean I was beautiful? No. But prom queen, homecoming queen in college? I guess some people would say if I did cheat, since I did cheat, that actually I was a co-homecoming queen because we had two that year. It was an interesting time. Uh, It was the uh, early 70s. And... um, and some would say, wow, okay, well, then, then you necessarily have to be attractive if you had, you know, achieved the, those, what we would say probably, little milestones. At least yeah. when you're young, you feel they are. Yeah. But I've never really perceived, I've always focused on, I think it's the way you were raised. I was raised by a mathematician, a statistician, and my life was books, and so I never really saw myself as really attractive, but I mean, I guess according to my local community, wherever <laughs> I was, I would have, I suppose, be perceived as attractive. I guess Martha, that was and a beautiful, I don't think that, about it much. <laughs> that, that was a beautiful. It is a beautiful answer, and and I think that people who are beautiful have trouble addressing the idea that they are or grew up beautiful, and, you know, you kind of gave away your age a little bit, and you can be beautiful right <laughs> up. I mean, you, you can be beautiful your entire life, and um, uh, and, I, and I think that that's one thing that I, I was telling you about a friend of mine uh, um, earlier who's about five foot eleven, blonde, everywhere she goes, people look at her, and she really, she's so smart and she's so funny that she doesn't want to be the beautiful woman. It sounds to me like you wanted, you were the bookish, nerdish, mathish, friendly, warm kind of a person who happened to be beautiful. You were not beautiful first. You were beautiful also. 
Oh my God, that was so. I said that so well. No, that's very profound. I'm going to write that but, down. You know what? I think. Yeah, please do. But I think <laughs> also women as they age, uh, fading beauty is very difficult. I mean, there is a very good good analogy here. Snow White, the evil queen. Think about that. Okay. That how she did everything that she could. It, to remain the most beautiful in the land, right? Yeah. And and here we see that something, you know, in, in fairy tales, and I think there's certainly allegories of our life, you have... Oops, there goes the train. I heard it. I heard, <laughs> yes, you, you warned us out. about... You're, you're in San Francisco, <laughs> and you know, warned I, us about the rail, the, the train, I right? I know, I was... I was walking through every room I could find where it was quieter, but no, you're fine. But but we have, you know, it's either beautiful and wicked or beautiful and pure, right? Yeah. And I think that it's very difficult. I've seen this among my friends, and I will tell you that I'm just I'm uh, I would aging baby boomer definitely. I would say that. You know, I'm not part of the first cohort. Yeah, I am part of the first cohort group, but many of my friends who I would say are classic beauties, I mean, they would be in the traditional sense, all American beauties. I, I happen to be uh, from another, uh, you know, more Mediterranean uh, uh, culture, I would say. And it has been difficult for them to age. And one of my friends has said, you know, I just don't get the looks I used to have when I'd walk into a room. I, you know what? So as, as I actually, not to make it about me, but I'm always good at making conversations about me, Martha. I, I feel the same thing. <laughs> I, I don't get looks. I mean, I, I tell friends, like, I, I used to go to, like, a restaurant at McDonald's, and the clerk would give me the little sly smile, and now they look right through you because you're older now. And it is well, an, it and is then an, with a cosmetic enhancement. There you go. I mean, one one way. I mean, uh, it's not going to be a cream, but cosmetic enhancement definitely. Uh, it's you know, as they say now, you know, sixty is the new forty. But to in a in large part, I think a lot of women are staying rejuvenated. Uh, because, you know, they're doing either some surgical or non-surgical work. That's not saying that all women who are older and beautiful, but I think there's nothing more beautiful than a woman who's comfortable in her own skin. That is, you know what, and that, I think, I think that's so true. And, and, and we all know somebody who is beautiful and they're 68 or 72 years old and they're beautiful because of the, they're, they're just comfortable with who they are. Absolutely, absolutely, and and again, just beauty is one part of who we are as human beings. Our looks are just one part of who we are. But to circle back to your original premise, it's absolutely very true that beauty is a social currency. And as you had said um, when we were talking, that. Beauty, um, I think you said beautiful people always seem to get the breaks. And, and as my, everything that you have said and purported really matches up with the research. So you really have a perspective on this topic that, is, that really mirrors the reality that we experience every day 
in Western culture. It has been so fascinating to talk to you. And again, I want to be respectful of your time and, and I appreciate this so much. And we're going to give the book title in a second. If you want to like write down the book title uh, and I'll put that in the description of the podcast as well. So you can pick up this book. Is it ever going to change? I mean, Martha, in a hundred years, will people still be obsessing with whatever form of selfie or social media? Is it ever going to change? Is the beauty industry ever going to say, well, we want to promote self-esteem, not profits. Do you see any change? Yes, we do see change. We do. We are seeing a counter-narrative now. There are several beauty advertisers, uh, I'm not going to give the names here, that uh, that are challenging some of these norms that are elevating women and girls that are combating stereotypes and actually uh, are attempting in their, in their way, and they are being successful to say to both, especially young women, girls and adolescents, you are, how you are is, you should be proud of who you are as you are. Be the best person that you can be with all of the talents that you develop over life. And women, I think, these are, this is great counter-messaging or counter-narrative we're saying. So it is changing slowly. It's a little spotty, but a lot of advertisers are get, getting on board as are their advertising agencies. What can men do as a dad, as a co-worker, as a friend? What can men as a partner, what can men do? Be supportive of your, uh, of, of your well, daughters in particular. Um, and I'm sure you as a father and many of the fathers listening here is just reinforcing your, your daughters, um, you know, with their dreams and their aspirations. Um, I think that that's the best thing that you can do because a healthy self-esteem is something I think, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I do know a damaged self-esteem, parents can do a lot to damage a young person's self-esteem. They can do a great deal to bolster it. The book is called Made Up, How the Beauty Industry Manipulates Consumers, Preys on Women's Insecurities, and Promotes Unattainable Beauty Standards. And it's by Martha Laham. And uh, uh, Martha, it's been so great talking to you. I thought we'd probably do this for about 20 minutes or so. And here we are 40 minutes in, and there's still a lot of things that I would love to talk to you about. But Oh, thank you, Dave. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Martha, you're more than welcome. Check out the book. It's available everywhere, bookstores, Amazon, etc. cetera. Uh, if you just look up Martha, L-A-H-A-M, and the book is made up, you'll find it. Martha, thanks, for again, uh, thanks again for being on the podcast and uh, sharing all your information. You are most welcome. Thank you, Dave. And that's going to wrap up the podcast for this week. Uh, Remember, it's all based on the book. Take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. My book also has a very long subtitle, Martha, so (laughs) we have that in common. Uh, And it's available in Kindle form, and it's on Amazon. And uh, I appreciate you so much listening to the podcast. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. (laughs) 